With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, so if, if you've kind of stumbled your way in and been ignoring all the thousands of emails we've been sending over the last, you know, several weeks and um, haven't yet re- read the handout uh, that we gave you or haven't heard someone mumble about it next to, next to you, uh, today is the last gathering of Discover Church. And, you know, we've known about this for a while. Uh, we've been talking about this for a while. Um, we are, you know, excited uh, about this merger into uh, family church and excited about what that's going to do for the purposes of the kingdom and fully believing that this is the best way we know to be able to seek first the kingdom of God um, and his righteousness and trusting uh, that he will add everything else you know, to us as he sees fit. So how, how do you, the question I've been asking myself now for, you know, a couple months is, so how, how exactly do you do this service justice? Um, there, there's a couple times every year that I have a very hard time preaching. Uh, you might think to yourself, actually, there's been quite a few chips. There's actually been a lot of times as I reflect back on the last several years, you've had a hard time preaching. Um, but in my mind, like the hardest times I have preparing for, um, for our Sunday gatherings are um, like Christmas Eve, Easter, um, and, and, and something like this. Just because, like, how do you do the resurrection justice? Right? Like, how do you preach something that, that lives up to the, the resurrection? Like, how do you do that justice? How do you do God coming to man, having been born of a virgin, being born in a little town, uh, fulfilling all these prophecies, dozens of prophecies pertaining to his life? How do you do that justice in 35, okay, well, maybe 45 minutes? Like, how do you, how do, you do that justice? How do you, and not, okay, now, wait, page, Turning a page. So how now do you, not that we're comparing today to the incarnation of Jesus and to the resurrection of Jesus, but still a day that has significance and, 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 and weight and, and importance. You know, how, as, as we kind of pivot, as we, as we turn a page from the six and a half years of Discover Church's existence and the you know, couple years leading up to kind of building to be able to get to the point of launching Discover Church, how do, how do we do that? How do we... Do, how, how do we think through that? How, how then do you preach a message that does that justice, that says all the things that you want to be able to say and still get you out of here before, like, next Sunday? How do we, which I'm sure we all appreciate, how do, how do, we, how do you do that? You don't. The short answer is you don't. That's what I, the conclusion I've come to is you really don't. There's no way to do the resurrection justice in a, in a, from a human perspective. There's, there's no way to do the incarnation of Jesus. And to, and it, it, there's no way to do that justice. And there's no way to be able to tie together all that we have accomplished and all that we have hope in our aspirations for where we are going as individuals, as families, and also as a family of missionary servants. Like, there's, no, there's no way to do that. So I just wanted to go and put you at ease that that's not, we're not going to do that today. What I do think is the appropriate way to start, though, is, just, is, is by celebrating. 
Um, a couple conversations I've had with people since we've been back or even before. It's like, why are we calling this a celebration Sunday? Can we call this like, like um, morning Sunday? Like, can we call this like a, a sackcloth and ashes Sunday? Can we, you know, can we, can we call this like, you know, like really bad day Sunday? Like, what, what can, we, can, we, can we rename this? And my, my thought was like, no. Like, no, we can't do that. Because this is a celebration. This is significant. You know, we don't cry because we had, you know, we, we were losing something. As Dr. Seuss says, we celebrate, we're happy because we got to have something. And so it's a celebration that God trusted us and entrusted us with what we've had. And it's a looking forward and, and, a, and a hope and, and, and a concrete faith and hope that what he's going to be doing is also something worthy of celebrating. Because he's not changing. Maybe where we gather will change. Maybe the person sitting next to you may change. Maybe the way they do children's ministry may be a little different. The way that they do their worship time may look a little different. And none of it's going to be as good as what we've done. Let's just be honest, right? <laughs> Except for the preaching. Um, so let's go ahead and get that out of the way, right? It's been, it's been a wonderful thing. celebration is the appropriate way to do that. Now, when we celebrate, sometimes that, that brings tears of appreciation and, and remembrance. How many times have we come and taken the Lord's Supper and we're, we're tearful as we come to the table? Because we remember and we're grateful. And it provokes the way that we, we live our lives going forward and we recognize the, the challenge of how we've been and, and where we need to go. But as I reflect, and, and I'm sure you've reflected and you've thought about what you know, life has been like, and you remember certain things about this journey, how you came to discover, um, you know, I, I kind of, I, I came to discover um, begrudgingly. <laughs> um, it was in the back corner of a classroom while in seminary that God challenged me for my motives. I knew we were going to start a church. At that point, I was still trying to convince Brittany to marry me. And um, still trying to talk her into that, which is the best sales job I've, I've ever, ever done in my life. Um, and it was in the back corner of that class that God's like, I, I, South Florida is where you're going to do this. And Palm Beach County is where you're going to do this. And you're going to return back to that area. And that's exactly what you're going to do. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. And God kind of leans in on, on my motives. This is all happening during a class in, in, in grad school and seminary. And... Um, and he's kind of challenges my motives for why we want to start a church. Do we want to start a church? Because it was going to be easy. Because if that's the case, you don't go to Palm Beach County. Were you going to start a church where um, there was going to be an abundance of, of financial resources? In the case, you don't, you don't go to Palm Beach County. You know, go somewhere where there's going to be immediate receptivity. And people have been looking for a new church and just didn't like the other ones. And so we're going to, like, if that's the case for your motive for starting a church, you don't go to Palm Beach County. Because only 5% are Christians in the whole county. You guys are like, if you want to see me in a really, in a bigger way, and if you want your faith to be increased, and you want to have to every single day live by faith and not by sight, and if you want to please me by living by faith, which is the only way to please me, then, then this is what you should do. And he said, if not you, who? And if not now, when? And if not, why not? 
and all of my reasons for going somewhere else um, were small God-oriented, and all the reasons for coming here were because we were chasing a big view of God. And I, as I reflect back, that was May 16, 2009, when we relocated here. You know, Brittany, uh, my brother Jordan, who's here with us today, which is really exciting. He came down, flew in, and to, to be here with us on a Sunday. Um, John and, and Lindsay, that was pre-Cali. Um, and uh, Benj and Steph, who moved down with us from Virginia and helped us start Discover, and are now in Boise, Idaho, uh, doing meaningful ministry there. Um, and seven of us gathered in our living in our living room of this dusty condo uh, that we were renting out that we rented sight unseen. Um, began to to talk about what this would look like. And one thing that has been clear is God has been faithful to show Himself in a bigger and bigger and bigger way, more complete way, every single step of the way that we have been going through. And I hope that's also true for you as you reflect and think through this, that you understand God, you've seen God in a more clear way and it has required more of him and less of you to be able to fulfill the mission that God has placed in front of us. And if that's the case, then would there be anything better than that? There have been things that would be easier. There have been things that may would have been more um, visible. Would there be anything more valuable than that for there to be more of him and less of us as we kind of turn the page. The part of appreciation or celebration is also appreciation. And you guys may have an idea, but if you haven't been a part of the staff slash leadership team, depending on what part of the you know, time frame you were either called staff or you're now called leadership team, of Discover Church along the way, you don't know all the weight that these men and women have carried. And just personally... I want you to know there's no way that Discovered Church would have been able to accomplish the things we've been able to accomplish without such sacrificial, committed, godly men and women who have served as our, in our staff and our leadership team. Many of them are seated around you. What I would love to do is if, you, if you're currently or have ever been a part of our staff or our leadership team, would you, just, would you stand up, please? And I would love to honor you by saying thank you and celebrating us faithfulness in your life and all that you have done, you know, for, you know, Discover. These men and, and women, for the most part, give about 15 to 20 hours a week above what they've already done, their jobs, their primary roles in their homes. And that's what it's been from, from, from the very beginning. There's a time where, you know, there was, was more time needed to accomplish the things that we were doing but ultimately, it's been somewhere between 15 and 20 hours a week, every single week, that these godly men and women, these committed men and women have given to see to it that Discover Church was able to be what Discover Church has been. Um, I know that their story, their reflection on this is going to be, is going to relate a little bit in this way, the things I'm saying, but it's also going to be unique to them. And and as we gather later for lunch, you're going to have an opportunity maybe to hear from some of them if they would like to share what this journey has been like you know, for them and their takeaway. But I, I just have a deep sense of appreciation for these people that have stood beside me, that have helped Brittany and I accomplish this, this dream that God instilled in our hearts um, going forward. Um, 
I mentioned that Jordan is here. Um, Jordan and I, and we were, had an older sister named Heather. Um, you've met Barry and Pam before, our parents. They've come many times and been a part of our, our gatherings. And when we were young, Jordan was about five, I was about eight. Heather, she's about 15 years older than us, right? So she was, you know, right, right. She's like 60 years old now, I think. Uh, we give her a hard time because she's older than us. She's only five years older than I am. But we exaggerate that because we're brothers, and that's what we do to our older sister is exaggerate. Um, and so we, would, we had this place at Atlantic Beach in North Carolina that we would go to regularly. Um, Jordan was, last time we went there, I think it was about five years old for Jordan, so he might not remember all of this. But this story is something that's been significant kind of in our family. We tell a lot. And my dad, who was an experienced fisherman, grew up kind of on these waters. I uh, had a boat. And he had kind of been teaching me, and I've been with him now for, for a number of years. We kind of knew the different fishing spots, and we we're just kind of teaching Jordan. And now he was five years old. He had his own rod and reel and learning how to kind of, you know, have some sea legs and how to whatever. And so we were on this intercoastal area by Atlantic Beach, and we had this fishing hole that we were at. And for whatever reason, it just what, things were not biting that day. We kept casting, and we really had the right kind of bait and all the stuff. And all the things that we know to kind of do, because uh, we've done this multiple times, just it was not working. And so, you know, an eight-year-old chip and my dad, and then and, and we, we couldn't catch anything. So Jordan decided he was just going to cast out, just work on casting. And so he cast out his, his, his hook with no bait on it, and it just kind of sinks. And dad and I are casting, and we're reeling, casting, and reeling, casting, and reeling, do all the things we're supposed to do to try and catch these fish. And Jordan's, we look behind him, Jordan's just doing this in the boat, just swinging back and forth on this you know, 17-foot boat. And, uh, and so we're just kind of like, we're on the... The other side of the boat staying away from crazy, crazy five-year-old Jordan. And he's just swinging this, this, this rod and reel back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, with no bait on it. Next thing we know is we just keep kind of ru- casting and reeling, casting and reeling. Um, next thing we know, Jordan's screaming, I've got something, I've got something. And we're like, no, you don't. Like, he's just, <laughs> this is not a technique to catch fish. Like, you have no bait. There's no way that you have a fish. And so we're just keep, keep doing our thing. He's like, no, I, I, ha- I have something. I know I have something. We're like, he's just, no, you don't, there's no way you, you have anything. There's no way that you actually do have anything. And so we actually turn and look. As we turn and look, sure enough, you know, his, his rod is bent. And it's, it, it's bobbing. There's something on the end of Jordan's hook. And so we're like, oh, my gosh, so we do. And so we go over there and kind of coach him on how to reel. And eventually it got too hard, so Dad kind of grabs it. Because he did still, we're all in disbelief because there is no bait on this hook. And he's just been doing this back and forth. And so we get the... The, the, the fish that Jordan had, had hooked up onto the boat, and we realized that Jordan, between swinging this rod back and forth like this, had hooked a Spanish mackerel in the eye socket. That somehow, through all the bait and the rod and the reel and all the things that we were doing, we were unsuccessful in being able to catch anything. But our, my five-year-old brother, my dad's five-year-old son, in the back of the boat, just doing this, with the rod, had somehow hooked this poor Spanish mackerel that was just swimming by, not even trying to eat the bait off of our hook, which would justify for killing this fish. That wasn't even happening. It was just swimming by. It was probably chasing, trying to find Nemo, okay? And Jordan hooked this thing in the eye socket, and we reeled, we reeled it in, and we cooked it and ate it, and it was, it was delicious. Sometimes you can try all, like, the right stuff. You can try all the right technique can try to get all the things to be done the, re- the right way, but sometimes it just doesn't work the way we hoped it would, but ultimately it might be because God actually has a miracle in mind. And that was a miracle. That was an absolute 
<laughs> miracle. But have you ever felt like God just doesn't make sense sometimes? Ever felt that way? That sometimes God just doesn't make sense? That might come in a way where he's telling you to do something that defies common sense. Like, the common sense way of handling something is not the way that he is leading you to handle something. Maybe he's not blessing something in a way that, that you thought that he would. That are consistent with his character. There's nothing wrong. You can't figure out why something isn't happening the way that you hoped it would or that you thought it would. And there may be a way that it has happened in, in the past. I know that a lot of the conversations I've had with you, and the best way I know to be helpful to us today and to have a God-seen perspective on this transition that we're having today is to talk about that idea. That sometimes we can be doing all the right things, but ultimately God has a miracle in mind. It is possible that we can be doing all the right things, but sometimes... God has a miracle in mind. Sometimes the best thing that we can do, sometimes the very best thing that we can do is to cast our nets on the other side and just keep fishing. So I want to encourage you to do is open up your Bibles to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. And when you're there, will you stand with me? As we honor the reading of God's word. As you turn in there, just kind of get an idea of where we're at. Jesus has lived sinless life. He has become the example for us as to how we follow, follow Jesus. He has shown us what it's like to, to, to be God. He has displayed perfection in every single way. He has come to man, become our neighbor. And he has laid his life down for us. He has been crucified. He has ultimately been buried. He has now been resurrected and is preparing to be ascended. And in doing so, he is spending time with his disciples, some of them in Jerusalem, some of them on a road to a city called Emmaus. Others had gone fishing. And Jesus goes and pursues them and spends time with them. And here is a little bit of the conversation, the situation around Jesus' pursuit of some of his closest disciples as they went back to fishing, kind of the old lifestyle, the old occupation. We're going to read the verse, first nine verses of John chapter 21. And it says, Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. We don't know who they are, just two other disciples, right? Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows. Something like that. The fellows. Sounds so British. Like you want to read this with a British accent, you know, because Jesus is British, apparently. Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. You'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. The disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work, jumped into the waters, and headed to shore. 
The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread from Panera like we have in the back right here. Father, I pray that you would give us just a unique understanding today of what you're doing in our lives. We have a shared experience that we're collectively going through, but each of us are going through it kind of in our own way. We know that this is an opportunity that you are wanting to disciple us, the way that you are wanting to lead us through your spirit. There's things that you want to encourage within us. There are things that you want to confront within us. There are things that you want to provoke. There are things that you want us to dream about. There's dreams that you want to kind of end so that we can dream about new things that you're doing in our lives. Now, there's a lot of stuff that you're wanting to do collectively inside of all of us, but more than anything, through all of it, you're drawing us to become more like Jesus. And so we submit to the authority of the scriptures. We submit to the Holy Spirit speaking to our life today. We don't want to be just hearers of the word, but we will be doers. We will be good stewards of what you say to us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a seat. Some of the things that jump out to me about this story, that this piece of history that is interesting is, is these guys were experienced fishermen. They have caught fish. I mean, they have been in this position before. This was not a new thing for them. They understood what it was like to be on this very sea. They understood what it was like to fish in this exact same spot. They know the time of fish to, time to fish. They know where to cast their nets. They were experienced in all this. They provided for their families by doing just this. This was not just some th- hobby like it would be, you know, for, for me to go out on, you know, to the Bahamas and go fishing. I would only do that occasionally. Like, I would never do that in a way that I understand the tides, and I understand the times of fishing, and I understand the kind of lures to use. These guys would have been experts in all of these things. They had caught many fish on that side of the boat before. So how does that apply to us? One of the big questions I've had to wrestle with over the last several months, even even year or so, is we continue to cast the nets on the same side where we have caught many fish before. We just seem to be, when we're pulling up the net, it just seems as if there's, the fish aren't in the, in the like, do we have a, a fishless sea now? Like, what, is trans, what has transpired? I began to ask those kind of questions, because as we look back, we've caught, as a church, there's been a lot of fish in the nets that we have pulled into our, into our boats. There have been over 100 people in the life of Discover Church in about six and a half years, and really about five years of that time frame. Over 100 people became Christians that discovered that we know about, that wrote it on cards or told somebody about it. We've seen over 40 of those people be baptized. They've, they've told us that they were, became followers of Jesus and they went through the waters of believers' baptism, recognizing the death and burial of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in their own life. And many of you are here. You were baptized here you know, at Discover. There were numerous people that found a safe place to engage the life of Christ during times of addiction and times of loss where they found this to be a safe place where they could experience the life of Jesus Christ in a way that would allow for them to feel comfortable in opening up their lives to him again. There have been many marriages that have started. They, the people that came here at dating or single and then got married and now even have, have children. Um, we've seen many marriages that came in in really difficult, challenging places and have seen those marriages strengthened and restored. We've watched children grow up 
Originally, the only two kids in this whole church were Caden and Victoria, and they have gotten old on us. Right, Melissa? They've gotten old on us. It's amazing. And there's been many, many more, and you can hear all of them right now at one time. We've watched them grow up, and we've rejoiced as new children were birthed into our family of of missionary servants. We've had many people launched out. It wasn't our goal to hold on to people for our benefit, but to launch them out for kingdom benefit. We've seen people do ministry locally that are now serving in different places, like, like Shea Haugen, for instance. I know Jack is so incredibly proud, as we are of Shea. He's a youth pastor of a church down south. You know, We have seen people nationally, like Benjamin Steph I mentioned earlier, that are now serving God and helped start a church in the Boise, Idaho area and are now elders and um, heavily involved in ministry at that church there in, in Boise. Um, and internationally, you know, if you've been paying attention, getting um, updates on what's happening with Stephanie and, with, um, and separately with Nolan and, and with Laney, who are internationally right now serving Jesus in some really special and unique places and ways. You yourself have served and helped fund international mission trips. You have helped create an expression of the life of Jesus Christ to people in Colombia who don't have a copy of the written scriptures, but you know what? They have a bathroom that was provided by a church. So they understand there's, a, there's life in Jesus Christ. They understand these things because of what they get to see and what they get to be able to experience. You've been with us to the Bahamas, helping work with kids who deal with addiction, and many of them, almost all of them, have have no fathers, but some of you sat and you played basketball with them. Some of you, you held some of these kids who'd never been held by a man before, or that man's hands and face look different every week. You've been that person who's been there to care for them. You've been there to repair those roofs. Uh, you watch Sean Gruber fall through the roof, you know, in the Bahamas, thankfully to be okay. <laughs> we've been there. We've seen these things. We've touched and we felt the significance of what it looks like to, to take the message of Jesus from our neighbors all the way to the nations. We celebrate with each other during times of good and mourned with each other during times of sadness and loss. We've been there for each other. We function together as a family. And so what do you do when, to some degree, some of those things don't happen the way they used to happen? What do we do when we are casting our nets in the same places we've always cast our nets and we continue to do the same things that we've always seemed to do, but it just seems to be different. There just seems to not be the same thing. Is God now not pleased with us? Is, is, there so, is, is he preventing fish from actually getting into the nets? These are the kind of questions that begin to pop up as we begin to think through this and had to be going on in the minds of these fishermen, these guys who were on the boat. I mean, they've caught fish on that side of the boat before, but today their nets were empty. As they were pulling in their nets for the last time, well, they ultimately hear a voice asking how the fishing is going. It's kind of from the shoreline. And we understand about the Sea of Galilee, it would have been very misty. There would have been a lot of fog at this time of the day, early in the morning. They would have been fishing all night long. They wouldn't have been able to see the shoreline. They would have been about 100 yards away. So you can kind of picture that on a football field from one end zone to the other end zone with all mist and fog, but the voice would have traveled well because it would have traveled over water. And so they heard Jesus say, hey, hey, fellows, <laughs> hey, guys, how's it going? How's the fishing going? And they're kind of like, really? Like, it's not going great, you know? Like, we haven't caught anything, actually. We haven't caught anything all night. And they would have heard the most interesting and probably irritating suggestion from the other side of the fog and the mist. 
On the other side of the uncertainty and the lack of clarity, they heard something and said, hey, why don't you throw your net on the other side of the boat? Not being able to see who it was, not being able to recognize they actually have gone through this experience before with Jesus in Luke chapter 5, it's recorded for us. And so they do. They throw their nets on the other side of the boat. Despite all the hard work, the patience, and effort they displayed, they were told to cast their nets on the other side of the boat, but we've been casting it over here the whole time. You can just imagine what's going on in their minds, but instead, they still choose to do it. And again, these were professional, experienced fishermen who would have been doing all the right things. But see, what Jesus was doing in the lives of these disciples was different. The days of just casting the net on this side of the boat and the fish going in were behind them. He's preparing them for a new season of ministry, and that required them to see him in a new way. It required an obedience in a different capacity. You see, different seasons of life require different seasons of leadership, don't they? We can't always continue to lead our families the same way we've always led them because the challenges are different. We can't always lead our businesses the same way we always have because the challenges are different. We can't function financially the same way we always have because the you know, budgetary demands look different. And the future that Jesus had for these disciples was different. So it was time for them to cast their nets on the other side of the boat. Sometimes... Things don't make sense, but ultimately we just simply need to fish on the other side of the boat. There's some benefits. There's some real benefits to fishing on the other side of the boat. You see, sometimes God puts us in situations where it seems like there aren't answers for the circumstances we find ourselves in. We've tried everything. We thought we knew what we needed to be able to get something done. You know, it worked before. So we think we already know how to go about doing it. And now someone's telling us a simplistic answer that drives us up the wall. I mean, wouldn't that make you so incredibly irritated? You've been fishing all night. This is exactly what you do. You know what you're doing. Your clothes smell like fish because this is what you have always done. And your hands are hardened because the net, you've been doing, you blistered. All the, like you just cast, them up, cast your net on the other side of the boat. Like, why would that make a difference? The same fish. They would be on the other side of the boat, would also be on this side of the boat. Why would that work? Jesus says, just cast your nets on the other side of the boat. Perhaps God is asking us, asking you to do something beyond what is simplistic. It may even seem like something foolish, it probably seems counterintuitive. But see, it shouldn't matter what side of the boat that you cast your net. It really shouldn't matter. But when Jesus says to cast your net on the other side of the boat, all of a sudden it matters. All of a sudden it matters. Besides, this brings up other questions, doesn't it? As we begin to think about this and honestly journey through this experience these real people were having in a real ocean, in a real circumstance, it raises certain questions. I mean, couldn't Jesus have made the fish swim into the net? Well, it was on the left side of the boat, like, right? I mean, couldn't he have done that? Answer would be what? Yes, he could. Absolutely. So why go and to, to the bother of having to take them, take the nets out, and then put them on the other side of the boat? 
why, why actually make them go through all that? This wouldn't have been a simple thing, just like reeling something in. This is a significant net. And it would have required multiple men to pull it up and then multiple men to put it down and leave it down in the amount of time to be able to give it justice before we pulled it back in to see what would be in the net. Like this is a significant undertaking that would have required a lot of effort. I mean, for matter, couldn't Jesus have just made the fish jump into the boat? Like, couldn't he have done that? Couldn't he have just taken? I would scream like that if Jesus had done that. That would be awesome. See, fish just jump into your boat. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Like, how amazing would that have been? Why couldn't Jesus have done that? Why couldn't he have just made the fish jump into the boat? You've probably heard stories about something like that happening, but we've never get to see it ourselves. The reason why Jesus didn't make the fish just swim into the net on the original side of the boat The reason why he didn't make the fish just jump into the boat. The reason why it was necessary for the disciples to pull the nets onto the boat and then to cast it on the other side had nothing to do with the outcome, but had everything to do with obedience. In order for them to fulfill the future that he had for them, this new season of ministry, they were going to have to be able to trust a voice that they couldn't see. They were going to have to rely on the Holy Spirit's voice. Up this point, they always heard from Jesus face to face. But just like a fog and just like a mist and just like from a distance, they're going to have to learn to obey a voice that originated from someone they couldn't see. The fish had just jumped into the boat. The fish just had gone into the nets, the original cast. They just swam over from the right side to the left side. There wouldn't have had to have been this extent of obedience they would have, that they were able to acquire. Jesus didn't do it for them. He didn't walk on the water. They certainly could have. Had. He'd done that before, right? He didn't get in the boat with him this time. This was from a little bit of a distance. He told them what to do, but ultimately the disciples had to make the decision to obey. Jesus tested their obedience so they could learn that blessings follow obedience. That was essential for what he wanted to do through them in the days ahead. See, in in your relationship, in my relationship with God, success follows obedience. Obedience is success. If you love me, you're going to do what? You're going to you're going to keep my commandments. Obedience reflects someone who's been crucified with Christ, and you can't have obedience without the word "die" in the middle, can we? It means death to our own perspectives. It means death to our own experiences. It means death to our own education. It means death to our own ways of living and wants. It means death to the American dream. It means death to anything that competes with God's dream. For you to be who God's designed for you to be in the days days ahead, it is going to require obedience to things that don't make sense. God never has and never will function by common sense. He is anything but common. 
I know it goes without saying, but it's probably helpful just to kind of remind us, we are not smarter than God. You may be smarter than me, and you are. All of you but one, you get to pick out who that is. We're not smarter than God. He understands things we don't understand. And we can't just keep doing the same things and expect different results. We need to listen and we need to obey to the things that he says. We can't rebel against God, go against what he's telling us, and expect success. It doesn't happen that way. It just doesn't. Success is experienced when we listen to Jesus and do what he says. So what are the things? What are some things that we get to experience? There's two things, I think, that from this text that are important for us going forward that we get to experience when we are um, obedient, when we do obey. The first thing we get to experience is Jesus' wisdom. We get to experience the wisdom of Jesus. One of the things that in his wisdom he was telling the disciples is, hey, keep fishing. Just because you had a rough night, a rough season, a rough patch, keep fishing. Don't stop fishing. Be obedient to things I'm telling you and just fish on the other side of the boat. Jesus' words didn't allow them to stop fishing. It kind of, as you read the text, it's kind of what it seems like they were going to do. They're a long night. They're kind of, they've cast their, pulled their nets in, and they were, you know, we're, like, we haven't caught anything all night. Like, it's time to stop fishing. Jesus' words didn't allow them to stop fishing. They were told to, to cast their nets. They weren't told to go take a cruise and relax a little bit. Just bring your nets in, and let's just tool around on the boat for a little while and watch the sun come up. To burn away the mist, the fog. It wasn't time to rest. It wasn't time to take it easy. It wasn't time to recover. That's one of my that's one of my fears for you guys as we transition. Is that that you're, you're gonna take a time that, to recover. Because this has been it's, it's been a lot of effort. It's been a long night. We don't stop fishing. We don't take a break from the mission. If Jesus' grace is still available to us, and it's not, it doesn't quit, it hasn't quit, then we don't quit. We don't break. We don't take a vacation from the mission of Jesus. We don't ever do that. We don't do that. His grace to us, his forgiveness towards us, his mercy towards us is as available today than it's ever been. And so as we transition and like, I don't have to anymore, like I don't have to because, you know, Discover kind of needed me or whatever it is that we think. Can I don't stop fishing. We just cast our nets on the other side. It's not time to take a cruise. It's not a time to rest. The best rest you can ever find is in the purpose which Jesus has put you here to find rest. The most restless you're ever going to be is outside of his will, outside of his obedience. You're going to find the greatest amount of rest, the greatest amount of recovery, the greatest amount of strength and joy in fulfilling this purpose for 
your life. We're not to return to the shore empty-handed. Empty nets are not a reason to stop fishing. Jesus knew the best way to get over a discouraging night of fishing was to have a good catch. The only way you have a good catch is by continuing to cast the net. In addition to experiencing Jesus' wisdom, they also got to experience Jesus' provision. They had experienced an extremely large catch. If you read in verse 11 here in chapter 21, we see there's 153 fish, large fish, it says. The main thing I think we can get from this and understand about this is that far more gets accomplished in obedience than in effort. Far more gets accomplished in obedience than in effort. We let Jesus, through his Holy Spirit's power, do all the hard work, and we're just obedient in walking in it. The hard work is for us to discipline ourselves, to say no to the things that we want, to say yes to the things that he wants, and to walk in obedience. That's the effort on our part. The drawing of the fish and where we, we are to cast our nets and all that, all that comes from him. And when we get to experience his wisdom, we get to experience his provision. We don't simply go back to doing what we used to do. Because we've been changed. What we do individually over the next several months either validates or invalidates much of what we have done over the last several years. When the church family changes its name, when the people that make up the church change, we'll find out how committed to the mission and to Jesus himself we really are. And that itself can provide some significant challenges for us going forward. But it also can provide some significant joys for us going forward. I want you to know that God has not stopped giving dream, giving vision, giving purpose for your life. This is discover is coming to an end and we are going in and are adopted into family church. It does not mean in any way, shape, or form that God is slowing down what he is doing in and through your life. Understand very clearly, everybody kind of zone in with me right here. Before Peter was able to stand up and preach, before 3,000, to see 3,000 people were baptized, he had to cast his nets on the other side of the boat. Before James was able to have the confidence and the clarity to not recant Jesus and ultimately have his head separated from his shoulders, we see in the book of Acts, he had to cast his net on the other side of of the boat. Before John had the capacity to be trusted with writing and pinning out for us the book of Revelation, he had to be comfortable and confident in this voice that was attached to a body that he could not see in order to be able to, in, in, to cast his net on the other side of the boat. This is a part of the story that he is writing in your life. And for some of you, your, your story in Jesus was initiated here. Others of you is midway in, this, in, the, in, the, in the part of your story. But regardless, there are more pages being written. And all of them are going to be written, hopefully, through our commitment to obedience. The things that he says to us. This is not the end. 
this is a to be continued. And you know where that continuance begins? Like, as soon as this ends. As soon as this stops, something else begins. It's much like a graduation. It's a launching into something new. And it's a, man, it's a mixed bag of emotions. And that's good. And that's okay. That's all right. We don't have to be necessarily excited about it. But our commitment must be to obeying Jesus. That's where our commitment must begin and must stay until he decides to call us home. And then, man, a whole new thing begins then. So as the band comes and we kind of wrap up this gathering time today and we continue to celebrate his activity, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. It's a family of missionary servants. One of the things that I want you to consider is as we take this, they take the elements, as we have this bread, which is symbolic of his body, which has been broken for us, and we drink from the juice that is symbolic of his blood, which has been poured out for us. Just a good rhetorical question to ask ourselves that promotes our faithfulness going forward is, at any point in time, has he not been faithful? And we, need to, we ask him then to help us be faithful like he has been faithful. And so as you take this bread and you dip it in the cup and you return to your seat, just with gratitude, we remember what he has done for us. And it's not just so that we reflect on just that. It's so that it promotes our faithfulness going forward. Because this is active. His sacrifice, his atonement, his redemption, and his purpose is active. He continues to move on. So, Father, I pray today that you would do something in our lives today, kind of culminating something and starting something new. that is representative of maybe something you've been wanting us to trust you with for a very long time. Part of what this season has been for me is just hope that there are things that you're going to do in the lives of these wonderful people who I love through me giving over Discover that never could have happened if I had held on to Discover. So will you do something even today? that only you can take credit for. We trust you by simply committing to keep fishing and just to cast our nets on the other side of the boat. Resisting the temptation just to rest and just to recover. Let's stay faithful to the mission of Jesus. You did not rest. You did not recover. It was for the joy that was set before you that you endured the cross, that you despised the shame. 
and that you provide an example for us to walk in. And so in the same way that you were sent by the Father, so now you send us. We pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.